The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks, episode number 38. It is Sunday, March 5th, and we're coming off a card that was disappointing in so many ways, but I kind of want to take the high road on this one because there were some unexpected awesome fights on this card and some great come-from-behind victories. Uh, It did end on a sour note. I'm here with Jeff the Animal Wilson, who is very fired up from what I understand. How you doing, Jeff? I am fired up, Bill, like you said, <laughs> and certainly more fired up than either Thompson or Tyrone Woodley were last night. Bold words, bold words. Yeah, um, not the most exciting main event. It, uh, I gotta say, I was kind of, I was kind of expecting it. I, and I guess we'll start there. But the, the biggest disappointment of the weekend for me, and I think for most fans, was uh, Khabib pulling out at the last minute. Uh, due to a poor weight cut, and uh, we can get into that a little bit later and talk about uh, Khabib can't get the weight off, Uh, (laughs) I think, as we should refer to him from now on. But let's get into this main event. So rematch between the champion, Tyron, the chosen one, Woodley, and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. So they fought to a draw at UFC 205 in New York City. Madison Square Garden, awesome fight. One of the best fights of the year, um, easily. So back and forth, uh, so many so many key moments that just stick out. The guillotine from Tyron, the comeback from Thompson. Awesome, awesome fight. You and I both agreed that fight should have been a draw. So you got to run it back. You need to have a winner. You need to establish who's the better fighter and who's the champion right now coming off of a draw. There's no other fight to make. I don't care who's waiting in the wings and how old they are. They need to wait until we figure this thing out. So we run it back last night, UFC 209, at uh, the UFC's new home stadium or arena, the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. And what are your, th- what are your thoughts on the fight? Jeff, let's just, I know you're fired up, so why don't you just give me your rundown and your analysis right off the bat? Bill, I wish I had an analysis for you, but nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you can't even call that a fight, man. I mean, the first two rounds, they were running around each other. And then the third round, Tom Willie lands a takedown, great. But then he throws like four punches. And Stephen Thompson's back on his feet. I don't even remember if there was a fourth round, Bill, or a fifth <laughs> round. All I remember is the last 30 seconds, Tyron Woodley just came to life and just exploded onto Stephen Thompson, almost knocked him out, and then the fight ended. Yeah, it was it was kind of weird. It was like um, the whole fight was when you light... It was like when you light a firecracker and you're expecting it to explode, and then it's just a dud. That was that was every round of this fight. So if you missed it, I know a lot of people didn't buy this pay-per-view because of uh, the Khabib-Ferguson fight not happening, and, and I don't blame you for that. I, I didn't pay to watch it either. But what happened was Tyron was just had his back against the cage the entire fight, which... Is usually a strength for him. He's good at backing up against the cage, and once guys have him in a corner, he explodes off of it. Uh, that's how he knocked out Josh Koscheck. That's kind of how he knocked out Robbie Lawler. Uh, he's he's good when he's backed into a corner because he can just explode uh, like nobody else in the division. He just has that quickness and that power. And Stephen Thompson just kind of stalked him down. It was a great game plan on his part, and he was outpointing him. If you're judging the fight fairly. I think you have to give rounds uh, one, two, and four to Wonder Boy, whether you agree with his tactics or not. As far as what he needed to do to win the fight, he did. And 
even Tyron's corner thought that Tyron lost the fight. I, I saw Dean Thomas at the end saying like, oh, well, you know, we lost this one. And then two of the judges gave it to Woodley and then another judge uh, scored a draw, which I thought all of those scores were weird. I, I guess the draw makes sense if you gave Woodley a 10-8 in the fifth round because it was almost stopped. But the only reason I could see giving him a 10-8 is if you're following the new judging criteria, which Las Vegas has not adopted yet. So Las Vegas still operates under the old judging criteria where, you know, 10-8s are not given out as easily. Under the new judging criteria, I'd say you'd probably have to score it a draw. You'd have to give a 10-8 to Woodley in the fifth round, and then, you know, the rest of the fight is even. So... Wow, it was really a lackluster fight. And uh, the the only thing I can think to compare it to is when Anderson Silva fought Damian Maya, where Damian Maya kept just dropping to his butt and uh, scooting around the cage and wouldn't engage with Anderson. And Anderson wouldn't go to the ground with Damian Maya because he knew how good his jiu-jitsu was because he was his jiu-jitsu coach. Uh, I, I think Stephen Thompson got robbed here. To be honest, I mean, he did everything to outpoint Tyron. He he landed more strikes. He controlled the octagon. He controlled the pace of the fight. And he only lost two rounds. But at the same time, I can't see giving a guy a championship belt for fighting the way that he fought against Tyron Woodley. And I know it's a different story when you're in there and you're in the moment, you're in the cage, and you don't know what this, you know what the other guy is capable of, and and you're being a little tentative, but yeah, it was a, it was a little bit too much. Uh, so, any reaction to any of that? I know I got a little long-winded there, Jeff. No, I agree with you. I think Steve Thompson got robbed, definitely. Um, I think he did more to win the fight. Very, 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 very little more, but he did more to win the fight. Uh, you know, he definitely won rounds one and two because he threw like three punches compared to Woodley's zero. Yeah, and um, you got to give him round four. Um, you know, rounds three and five definitely for for Tyron Woodley. But like you said, um, I don't think that they were ten eight rounds at all. Yeah. Maybe it's a strong maybe for round five because he did um, almost cause a stoppage. But there was only like ten seconds left. Like the ref wasn't. I don't think the ref would have stopped it anyway. Right. So. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do here. Personally, and I talked about this on Twitter. If you guys follow me, if you don't, it's at Animal underscore Wilson. And I said, I don't think that either man delivered a championship performance. We should not have a welterweight championship right now. That's like we shouldn't have a champion. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I <laughs> I wouldn't disagree if they came out with something like Damian Maya and Jorge Masvidal are going to fight. For the championship, not an interim championship, for the championship. And if you watch the post-fight press conference, I don't know if you caught it, Jeff, but Tyron seemed like he knew he lost the fight, and he knew he kind of got away with one there. Uh, I I don't really know what to say about this division right now. There's so much talent in it. There's so many great fights that you can make, but you know it's kind of bottlenecked right now, and it's it's very awkward because. According to my scorecard, Stephen Thompson has won six out of ten rounds against Tyron Woodley, and it at the same time he hasn't he he didn't fight like a champion. Neither of them fought like a champion in this fight. They were both respecting each other way too much. I, I guess the first fight um, really made them respect each other, and I guess it kind of explains why Woodley didn't want the rematch. Because he fought like a guy who didn't want to be in there. So, I mean, that kind of explains some of his behavior. Some positives that could come out of this, because I always like to look on the bright side of things. Maybe Woodley won't be asking for those quote-unquote money fights anymore. Uh, you know, talking about GSP and and Nick Diaz and, and all these things. Uh, at the post-fight press conference, he said, you know, whatever my management team thinks and, and whoever they put in front of me, and he kind of has to be humble like that at this point because he kind of he kind of got away with one here. And there was some questionable judging throughout the night. 
there were there were a lot of questionable calls, a lot of split decisions. These judges didn't seem to be on the same page. Uh, but before we get into the rest of the card, let's talk about the bigger disappointment of the weekend, and that is the fight being called off, the interim lightweight championship fight being called off between Tony Ferguson and Khabib. Can't keep the weight off. I mean, uh, Nurkamet, Nurkamet, I mean, let's just call him can't keep the weight off because it's <laughs> it rhymes. <laughs> it rhymes and it's easier to say. Khabib Nurmagomedov. So he pulled out of the fight, Jeff. I know I was the one who let you know. I sent you a text message, I think, Friday morning. and Because I know you were at work, so you, you didn't have a chance to to see the news come through. So, you know, you and I are always kind of sharing sharing news as we hear it and you know always looking for material for the show of course we were both devastated and i know a lot of the mma community was as well but let's really kind of break this thing down so khabib came within six pounds of the 155 pound limit and he started getting pain in his kidneys and his organs so his team decided to take him to the hospital. Now, the hospital he went for, yeah, obviously they don't know anything about fighting or, or who this guy is, and he comes in just looking like shit, I imagine. Supposedly there's a picture out there of, of Khabib trying to do the weight cut, and he looked horrible. So this guy comes into the hospital, and the doctors you know, do the right thing. They get him on fluids, and uh, you know, they get him hydrated. So what Dana White said at the post-fight press conference was, Khabib's team should have called him, should have called, you know, some of his managers and they would have taken him to a different hospital and they would have taken his vitals and assessed the situation before they just put him in a, on an IV because once you receive an IV, unless you go through like some hoops that USADA has you jump through, once you go through an IV, you're not eligible to fight anymore because IVs have been banned. So even if he got the IV and Tony Ferguson agreed to a catch weight, this fight can't happen. And it, it definitely can't happen for a title. The The best case scenario would have been that Tony Ferguson could win the championship if he were to win the fight and Khabib wouldn't be eligible because he couldn't make weight. He was six pounds over and after an IV, he'd be a few more pounds than that. So you're talking about eight or nine pounds over the 156 pounds that he's allotted so a lot of information to digest there let's start at the beginning jeff when i texted you on friday give me your reaction my reaction bill was just cancel the whole card shouldn't even happen <laughs> i mean you did say you that. know <laughs> yeah and this honestly i think we we're both really really excited for this fight yep um it, it would have been a huge payout for both of these guys too uh i'm just reading online here and Nurmagomedov would have probably made half a million dollars if he had won that fight. So he misses out on a massive payout. And I, like you said, man, I don't like that the way everything happens. And it all stems from Nurmagomedov not being able to manage his weight. We've said this before. Yep. These fighters, you know, they don't hire nutritionists. They try to do everything by themselves. And it's hard, man. Um you, you can't just um, eat well and eat right in camp. You got you to gotta live the lifestyle, you know, mm -hmm. year-round. It's why guys like Donald Cerrone can take a fight on three days' notice. It's why guys like Anderson Silva and Nate Diaz can take fights on, like, a week or four days' notice. Yeah. Because they, they live the lifestyle. And you have, to you, throw, you have to throw Michael Johnson into that mix. Not to cut you off, Jeff, but... Michael Johnson was ready to take the fight against Tony Ferguson, and he said that he could. He, I guess he was in Las Vegas and he was ready to cut the weight on the spot, and he was he was ready to go. Um, Tony Ferguson had to turn that fight down, and I I believe you saw some response Tony Ferguson had about why he turned that fight down. Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit, Jeff? Yeah, so uh, Ferguson said, you know, I, I could have made some money, but, you know, it, he wasn't there for that fight. And I forget exactly what he said, but he's saying, he was saying, you know, I would have had to take a pay cut and 
you know, I, I, res- I'm a, I respect the UFC and I love the UFC, but I'm a businessman first. Yeah. So he, he didn't want to take the pay cut. And you know what? I can't blame him. You can't blame the guy for sticking to his morals and taking a stand. And honestly, at the end of the day, he has no, um, he has no, it's, it's not being like, he doesn't have to take the fight against yeah. Johnson. The word escapes me, but um, he, he has no, obli- yeah. I was just going to say that. Yeah, he has no obligation to fight Michael Johnson, whether you like it or not. So, you know, respect to Tony Ferguson for keeping his stance. And honestly, I mean, I I don't know what you do, man. This is a problem that Nurmagomedov has had before. You know, he's struggled to make weight before. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if he's eating too many. What is Dagestan known for? Um, I don't know. Borscht? I don't know what that is, Bill. That's it's like beet soup, which sounds healthy. I mean, beets are healthy, right? But yeah, you, you make a lot of great points there, Jeff. And the other thing for Ferguson too was if he took the fight against Johnson, it wouldn't have been a title fight. I mean, you can't you can't take a guy who just got smashed by Khabib, like completely dominated, where Khabib was talking shit to him while he's beating the hell out of him. And then talking shit to Dana White in between rounds and then let him fight for a championship. So it would have been a non-title fight. So Ferguson goes from fighting for a championship to just fighting for less money. And the other part of that, too, is the the psychological side of it, which a lot of people don't think about. So he's preparing for this fight for months, you know, and he's and he's getting ready to go in there against a killer and he's getting ready to fight for a championship. You know, whether you agree or not that there should have been an interim belt on the line, there was. And he was preparing for a championship fight. And he's told the day before he has to fight that the fight's off because your opponent couldn't make weight. So right there, at, and the, for anyone who's ever had to cut weight or go through anything as physically demanding as a fight camp, you have to know that he's depleted mentally, physically, everything. He's he's put himself in positions that a normal human being couldn't be in. And then he's told this opportunity has been taken away from you because another person couldn't make weight. And like you said, Khabib has had problems with this before. He didn't make weight against Abel Trujillo. I think he was like two and a half pounds over the limit when he fought him. And I think uh, the bigger picture here is that Khabib has cost himself the chance of ever fighting Conor McGregor. Uh, he might be 24-0, and he may go on to win some kind of interim belt, but now Conor has too many reasons to not fight Khabib. He's already called him a pull-out, ma- uh, pull-out merchant before, and now pulling out the day before a title fight, uh, Conor has every reason to deny Khabib over and over again and you know whether you love or you hate connor you can't you can't deny that the guy knows what he's doing uh when it comes to business and when it comes to you know how he justifies taking fights so he never has to take a fight against khabib as far as i'm concerned because he can say well why would i fight this guy when he's just gonna pull out the day before you know i'm the champ i don't i don't need to put up with that nonsense you know, I'm a professional. I make weight every time, which he does. Uh, even when he was at 145 and he was too big for that weight class, he he always made weight. Uh, so, you know, Khabib has just given Connor too much ammo. So if he ever gets to the point, you know, where he is able to fight Connor, I don't see him being able to, to get that fight, whether he deserves it or not, according to his record. What do you think about all that, Jeff? No, I agree with you 100%. I don't think, I think that Connor, as the champion, he's allowed to say, listen, if this guy's not going to make weight, I, I sure not, I'm not going to fight him. Because then he wouldn't be eligible to win the title anyway. Yep. So why would I waste my time, you know? And um, a good point you made about Tony Ferguson, you know, he, he's been through hell and high water getting ready for this. And he he got ready for Khabib Nurmagomedov. He didn't get mm-hmm. ready to fight Michael Johnson, who's a totally different fighter. Yeah. So you have to take that into consideration too. You know his game plan was set for Nurmagomedov. You know he you you can't ask him to change it a day 
before. Um, so I, I, I respect Ferguson for not taking the fight. He has no obligation to. And just like he has no obligation to take a fight in a day's notice, Conor McGregor has no obligation to take a fight against someone who may not make it to that weight. And um, I did like your suggestion before about... Um, if Nurmagomedov hadn't rehydrated through the use of an IV, but if he had done uh, talking talked to some of the um, UFC doctors, and maybe they could have still had the fight on. Yeah. Um, I liked what you said about making it so that if Ferguson had won, he would be the interim champion, but not Nurmagomedov, because that's kind of how they did it when um, Pettis fought Max Holloway mm-hmm. for for the interim. Uh, featherweight title right yeah. because um i think pettis weighed in like three or four pounds over or something yeah might have been more right so speaking of the ivs let's let's jump down a couple of fights on the card um to the fight that a lot of people had said should have been the co-main event once uh khabib and ferguson was scrapped and that was alistair overeem against mark hunt so this was kind of a strange fight it was very back and forth it was it was kind of exciting, and I think the the answer is pretty cut and dry as to why this was not the co-main event. Mark Hunt, for those who don't know, is currently suing the UFC, suing Dana White, and suing Brock Lesnar because of his last fight at UFC 200, where Brock Lesnar beat him and then tested positive for estrogen blockers, which suggest that he was taking steroids. So Mark Hunt, even though before the fight, Mark Hunt said, I know Brock Lesnar's on steroids. I'm going to fight him anyway. After the fight, he said, the UFC shouldn't let Brock Lesnar in there. He's clearly on steroids. And I'm going to sue everybody. So if if a guy is suing your company, you can't promote him as the co-main event on a pay-per-view. Now, he's under contract. He has to have a certain number of fights that he needs to deliver on before he can go fight for another organization. But you can't go and put him on the billboards and market him when he's taking you to court and suing you. You you just can't. I mean, whether you agree with with he should with whether or not Mark Hunt should be suing the UFC or not, that's not the issue. If you're the person being sued, you can't take this guy and promote him as a co-main event. So they kept this fight as the opener on the on the main card. And I, I bring this up, and this was kind of a roundabout way of getting to it because we were talking about IVs. So Alistair Overeem actually received an IV on the day of the weigh-ins, but he did it through USADA, and he went through the proper methods. He went through you know all the red tape that they... That they provide. So, Alistair Overeem was really sick. He had the flu or something, some kind of, you know, nasty cold. I don't know, but he was really sick. Uh, actually, actually, sorry to cut you off, Bill, but I believe I'm just reading here. It looks like he might have had food poisoning the same day mm. of the of the fight. Yeah, so he got really dehydrated, and it wasn't even a matter with the heavyweights. It's usually not an issue of cutting weight, so I think that's why they're a little more lenient with the IVs, but he did have to get some fluids um, so that he could rehydrate, and um, it it didn't affect, you know, whether he was going to make the 265-pound limit or not, so I think that had a lot to do with USADA giving him a pass on that, but in any case, uh, you you can't promote the guy who's suing you as the co-main event, so that's why this fight was not the co-main event, even though they're clearly you know, two of the biggest stars on this card, both K1 world champion kickboxers. And uh, they, they both are legends of the sport, uh, you know, by anyone's criteria. So in the third round, Alistair Overeem put Mark Hunt on the canvas, face planted him. It was really a spectacular knockout. Great technique. He had a full Muay Thai clench and just landed a beautiful knee and just crippled Mark Hunt. So what was your reaction to this fight not being the main event, uh, co-main event, Jeff? And what was your reaction to how the fight actually went down? At first, I was 
a little disappointed that it was not the co-main event until you told me that Mark Hunt is suing the UFC. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you 100%. You can't market someone who's suing you that's bad for business. Yeah. And then it messes up the hierarchy. It means that your authority means absolutely nothing. <laughs> that's so, true. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to look at it from the UFC's perspective, you know? Yeah. So, because at the end of the day, while we do love watching UFC and we enjoy um, these gladiators go in there, the UFC is still a business and they got to make money. And you're not going to do that by making someone who's trying to sue you your poster boy. Right. So, um, anyway, getting back into the, the fight itself, I thought it was great. I thought Overeem was looking good. I thought he was fighting smart. Except when he gave his back to Mark Hunt, which he did a few times. Um, but he did it more to get away from Mark Hunt because Hunt had him at a really bad angle. Yeah. So so I think that was smart. I, well, I'm not a fan of it. I think he needed to do that to get out of harm's way. And that knee at the end, man. Uh, it was two knees and I think a shot to the head. Mm-hmm. But th- those were the knees from hell, man. Like, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think anybody can knee as hard as Overeem. Well, maybe David Tamer, but we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, Overeem, I've never seen Mark Hunt not finished that way. Like, I've never seen him beat like that. And, yeah. you know, yeah. he he just healed over at the end. It, it was a little scary. It felt like, like the end of an era because Mark Hunt was, for the first time, he was made to look like a human being. You know, we're so used to seeing him with his knockout and then walk-offs. And yeah. and now we have him, you know, just dismantled by Alistair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, he has been knocked out four other times, but not like that, though. No, not I mean, th- there was a, the spinning hook kick from Junior Dos Santos. That was. Uh, oh yes, yes, I remember that. That was pretty wild. And then uh, Fabricio Wardum mm-hmm. uh, knocked him out, and Stipe knocked him out. So I mean, all top contention. I mean, Mark's Mark Hunt is one of these guys. He's just a fan favorite because of his fighting style. You know what he's going to do every time, and it's and it's just a matter of whether his opponent can stop him or not. And I, I mean, he's forty two years old, and he's suing the UFC. I wouldn't be surprised if they found a way. If he has any fights left on his contract, I wouldn't be surprised if they found a way to get out of it but this is a good fight i mean it was very back and forth and yeah. say what you want about Overeem, uh you can tell he's definitely not on the mexican supplements anymore because of his his body type i mean he's kind of got like the dad bod going on now but <laughs> uh <laughs> we know we know he's had we know he's had uh you know some help in the past from from some you know special vitamins but Say what you will about him. The guy is a skilled striker, and he's a skilled fighter overall. And I like your point you made about him turning his back to Mark Hunt. He did that in the Stipe fight too. Uh, it, and the other thing I didn't like is that he was when he was up against the cage and Mark Hunt was swinging against him, he was covering up like a boxer, basically just putting his hands over his face, which doesn't really work in MMA. I, I don't know if you guys have ever trained with MMA gloves. You can't really cover your whole face and then punches can still slip through so that's a very dangerous strategy especially against a guy with mark hunt who has crazy knockout power uh you know you mentioned the, the walk-off knockouts but good fight overall uh Overeem wanted uh to fight francis and ganu I, I think he called him out either that or he said if um Who's fighting Stipe for the for the championship coming up? Surprisingly, it is Junior Dos Santos right, right. at UFC 211. Yeah, so if, if Dos Santos wins against Stipe, Overeem said that uh, he wanted that fight because him and Dos Santos have some unfinished business. And he said that he knew he wouldn't deserve a shot against Stipe since Stipe finished him uh, in their last fight. So, you know, Overeem's making a run for this belt i mean it's it's eluded him for a long time he's he's accomplished so many other things in the sport and the sport of of k1 kickboxing so you know you gotta admire that he's still going for it and say what you will about him but 
the fight that did make the co-main event, which I think uh, you and I were not disappointed by completely, and it was the fight of the night, and it was a really exciting fight. So David Tamer against Lando Venata, and this was this was an explosive back and forth fight. I mean, both of these guys had some very flashy moves. You can make you can make such an awesome highlight reel out of just this fight. But uh, Tamer pulling out the decision. It was a unanimous decision. Uh, all three judges gave him gave it uh, 30-27, which means David Tamer won all three rounds. I know you saw it that way, Jeff, because uh, you and I were talking during the fights last night. But I saw Lando winning the first round. Uh, I thought he, he did enough to at least do that. And, and uh, David Tamer definitely won the second two rounds. And he started mixing up with some surprising takedowns. It, it was it was a great it was a great scrap and uh you know Lando Venata is one of these guys who came on the scene took his first UFC fight on short notice against Tony Tony Ferguson almost finished him in the first round and then his last fight was a spectacular uh, spinning wheel kick knockout against John McDessie. What were your thoughts on this fight and do you think it was deserving to be the co-main event? You know, initially I didn't think it was deserving to be co-main event. But after watching that fight, I'm glad it was because it was super exciting. Um, you know, Lando Venata's got that weird style where he's kind of laid back and he moves really weird. Mm-hmm. But David Tamer was just calm. He was picking his shots. He was doing a really good job of counterpunching. And when he would counterpunch, he would do it in like bursts of three or four punches and land some really nice combinations. And I think he did a great job of when they were in the clinch bill, he would kind of get in an underhook and an overhook and just knee Lando Venata unbelievably hard. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he would wind up really big and then just bang right to the body. And Lando Venata did a good job of blocking some of those knees, but it looked like they still hurt. You know, wherever they landed, they were hurting him. Yeah, for sure. He, he took a lot of damage in that fight. And, uh, you know, we know he's definitely tough. I don't think the stock went down for Lando Venata, even though he lost uh, the decision here. I think he's still an exciting fighter. He's still got a great highlight reel, and even when he loses, he has exciting fights. Um, so I, I think he's definitely got a bright future. I think he's, you know, he's got a lot of growing to do. He's only 24, so... And, and his only two losses as a professional are in the UFC, and they're against top competition as of now, Tamer is still undefeated in the UFC, and he finished his his other two opponents. So I, I thought it was a great fight. Uh, I'd be looking forward to see either one of these guys fight again. Uh, two guys that I don't know whether or not I'd want to see them fight again, but they put on a great show last night, Daniel Kelly and Rashad Evans. So this was Rashad Evans' first fight at middleweight, finally. He tried to get onto the Madison Square Garden card and the New York athletic commission denied him then they denied him again when he tried to get on i think it was the buffalo card or the albany card one of those so new york athletic commission still you know a little iffy since they're so new obviously mma's only been sanctioned in new york for a short amount of time in any case rashad evans former light heavyweight champion dropping down a middleweight took on daniel kelly he was uh, a very large favorite in this fight, even though Kelly was 12-1 coming into this fight. Uh, I don't know. What can you say about Dan Kelly's style, Jeff? I mean, he's he's pushing 40. He's 39 years old. He's now 13-1. and And he doesn't have the cleanest technique with anything. Uh, he's a, a high-level judica, so he practices judo. And... He doesn't really do anything right, but he, he goes in there and gets the job done, and he's tough as hell. So he took some of Rashad's best shots and kept coming forward. He had some interesting kind of throws and reactions to Rashad's takedown attempts, and he was able to get back up again. And I think the most impressive thing, which you and I both commented on last night, was the fact that his knee is basically held together by a knee brace. <laughs> So the guy's in there with one knee, and the other knee is kind of strapped together. And, uh, you know, he he pulls off the split decision win. So what was your take on this fight? And 
what do you think about one-legged Daniel Kelly getting in there, getting it done? I thought uh, this fight was super exciting. It was um, Rashad Evans looked pretty good uh, in terms of physically. He looked really good in his weight cut. He didn't look like he had too many problems. He was a lot more ripped than usual. But, um, you know, Daniel Kelly, he's, I don't know, he doesn't really have a style. It's like he's, like his punches are weird. Looks Mm -hmm. like he's never trained boxing before. But um, he can fight, man. Uh, He was doing this, he was doing this thing because he is a southpaw. While Rashad Evans is orthodox, and because their lead legs were next to each other, he kept doing this thing where he would hook Rashad's lead foot with his lead foot and try to take him down. And I thought that was smart because, and I believe Joe Rogan made a comment on this, um, he was keeping Rashad from moving back too far. Yeah. Um, so he was able to keep Rashad from like thinking twice before trying to take him down. And he did a good job of measuring distance that way. Mm-hmm. So um, I felt like his takedown defense was great. Uh, Rashad Evans took him down, I only, I believe, only once or twice. But even then, he couldn't keep Kelly down. And Kelly was able to land a takedown or two of his own. But um, I thought the grappling, they were pretty much equal. And in the stand-up, I felt like Daniel Kelly just, you know, while he wasn't throwing actual punches, he was just you know, doing more work. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was able to, you know, and I think part of that is also um, Rashad Evans hasn't hasn't fought in a while. Um, he had a really bad knee injury, so he was out for about two, two and a half years, something yep. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like you said, he had health problems. He um, had problems even getting uh, sanctioned for yeah. fights in New York. So that put him off a little bit. I know that the Black Zillions kind of fell apart. That's his gym. Uh, he helped start those guys. Mm-hmm. So you know, a lot of a lot of stuff going on for Rashad Evans outside the octagon as well. Yeah, definitely. So I felt, yeah, I felt like all that the psychological, it just affected him. Uh, he didn't look his best when he was fighting tonight. But I do like him at middleweight. He looks really good as a middleweight. So I'd like to see him fight again. But I think last night just wasn't his night, and Daniel Kelly did enough to win. Yeah, I mean, it, first time dropping down the middleweight, uh, I'd like to hear how he felt. I mean, he he didn't go in there and get destroyed or get finished or, or embarrassed or look really bad. So I saw some people talking about Rashad should retire, but uh, I thought he looked really good. I think he can get in a rhythm at middleweight, maybe not make a run for the title, but definitely there's some interesting matchups for him in that division. I, there's some there's some big big guys who are in that division that that he he could definitely have uh interesting fights with. I mean, you know, Luke Rockhold is is one that comes to mind who's who's big for that division and you know, Chris Weidman is really big middleweight. So uh, Gegard Mousasi is another guy who who fights at light heavyweight also. So there's some interesting matchups for him there. I, I would like to see him take another fight or two. Uh, Dan Kelly is just an enigma. I mean, he does a lot of things wrong. He has, like, yeah, very sloppy stand-up. And <laughs> even his judo is, like, he, that's what he's a master of. Even that is is kind of awkward, but... Yeah, the grappling exchanges were interesting. They kind of neutralized each other. The wrestler versus the judica was was kind of an interesting dynamic in there. Uh, but yeah, a good fight for sure. And you know, toughness and heart kind of prevailed for Dan Kelly. I mean, he's a guy you can't count out. So uh, I'm going to jump down a card a little bit, talking about heart and toughness. Darren Elkins versus Mursad Bektik. This is a fight that. Elkins, you know, everybody counted him out. I think he was the biggest underdog on the entire card. He he was being fed to the wolves in Bectic, who's a, a guy that the UFC seems to be trying to build up. And Bectic dominated him, beat the crap out of him for like two and a half rounds. And even right at the end of the third round, Elkins came out of nowhere and was able to, to get the finish. Um, really a spectacular comeback. I mean, it was it was one of the greatest comebacks I think I would say of all time. I, I would I would definitely put it 
put it up there. Um, you know, Frankie Edgar versus Gray Maynard, the the first one where they where they went to a draw comes to mind also. But um it, you know, amazing because Elkins had to finish this fight to win and you, there was just no quit in the guy, and it seems to be his mo. I mean, he could take a beating and just keep coming. Um, so, what were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Dude, I'm with you 100. percent I thought Elkins, he was getting murdered at first. Yeah, you know, he in the third round he was all bloody. His face was a giant bruise, and then he just—I don't know what. I can't explain to you what happened. I just saw Darren Elkins hit. Bektich a few times and then Bektich stopped moving I don't know how this happened I, yeah. Darren Elkins is an enigma wrapped in a riddle because mm-hmm. he's the heart on that guy man unbelievable I, and also I have a question for you is he a team alpha male guy because I believe I saw Joe um, Buckles in his corner uh, I think he does he has some affiliation with with them. I don't know if he trains a team alpha male, but he's definitely friendly with those guys because I saw he was on uh, Uriah Faber's Instagram story as well. So he has a different fight camp association, but they must be affiliated with alpha male in some way. So, uh, I mean, good for him. I, yeah, it, it doesn't erase the awful tattoo on his chest. <laughs> it says the damage. Uh, I, I don't know if he lost a bet on that one or or if he really thought it was a good idea at the time. Uh, maybe he was drunk. I don't know, but um, not not the prettiest tattoo. But you know, underneath that tattoo is, is a fuck of a lot of a heart. <laughs> oh yeah, unbelievable! All the credit in the world. If there was a comeback of the year category. This fight would win it for this year and yeah. maybe next year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was kind of a it was kind of a night of comebacks. I mean, uh, Overeem came back against Mark Hunt. Uh, Woodley came back after losing a fight and, and won with the judges. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Marcin Tibura came back. I guess he was he was kind of getting beat up by uh, Luis Enrique. Uh, that fight sucks, so we won't talk about it. But another awesome comeback was uh, Yuri uh, Alcantara against Luke Sanders. Luke Sanders was beating the fuck out of Alcantara in the first round. <laughs> he 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 beat his face into another dimension, including – and he had him up against the cage at one point, and he threw an illegal knee. Uh, Alcantara was clearly grounded, and Luke Sanders kneed him in the head and – and cut him open, and it was really bad, really blatant illegal knee. And there was a Mark Goddard deducted a point, rightfully so. But Alcantara was clearly wobbled and came out in the second round and was still getting dominated, and then pulled out a knee bar out of nowhere. And on the surface, it seemed like it was a knee bar that could have been escaped easily. But what Alcantara did was he kind of blocked. Sanders' other leg, because the defense to a knee bar, as you pointed out last night, Jeff, is to figure for your legs, and you know, it, that that kind of holds your place so you, your knee can't get hyperextended until you're able to get into a better position. But what Alcantara did was kind of triangle his legs around the opposite leg, and he just got so deep on Luke Sanders' leg, and he was able to to get the finish there and luke sanders kind of tapped nonchalantly he was like okay uh let me go please so it, was kind of, it looked like an awkward finish but what an amazing comeback from a guy and and i love the irony too because it's like an eye for an eye uh, a knee bar for an illegal knee to the face so i, I love the the poetic justice there as well what were your <laughs> thoughts on this fight jeff uh i was only able to see the last round uh, when he got the knee bar, and like you said, it was it was a little weird the way he set it up, yeah. because it looked like Luke Sanders could have figured for figured forward his legs and kind of um, maybe kicked off of Alcantara's butt, which you're gonna you'll see a lot of guys do. Uh-huh. Um, they'll kind of spin a little bit and then kick off the other guy's butt to get their knee free. And 
you know, Sanders didn't do that. And like you said, he the tap was a little nonchalant. I don't think Alcantara felt it at first because then – and also Mark Goddard kind of didn't see it at first mm-hmm. until um, Sanders tapped with his other hand. Yeah, he was like, hey, get off me. But it was all <laughs> – it was actually a tap. It was kind of weird. It didn't look yeah, like he but- was tapping. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. It looked like he was grazing him or, like, rubbing him. I don't know. But I only saw the last <laughs> round. And, you know, all the credit in the world to Alcantara, you know, taking a world-class beating and then coming back, you know, same to Darren Elkins. This this was, you know, except for the main event, I think this was a great card. Yeah, yeah. It's like, top to bottom, it was really good. And um, one fight I wanted to get into real quick was um, Cynthia Calvio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fighting Amanda Cooper on the main card. Um, this girl, she has only been a professional for about seven months, mm-hmm. but um, Calvillo just went in there and she showed some super slick grappling. Uh, Amanda Cooper was clearly winning the fight on the feet, so Calvillo took it to the ground first, um, but Cooper was able to recover really well, and then she shot. Cooper shot in for a takedown, and Calvillo kind of extended her leg and did a back roll, so she ended up on top. And she was able to lock up kind of like a Darce slash Anaconda choke. But then she did this crazy thing, I don't know if you saw it, Bill, where she reached her back legs over um, Cooper's back uh-huh. and ended up taking her back after losing that position. Yeah. And she won with a rear naked choke. It was just super slick. Calvillo, I find her very attractive. I might be in love with her. <laughs> what else is new, Jeff? Or her jujitsu. I don't know, but I, I thought that was a really cool fight. I think that the females are, are you know, women's MMA doesn't get enough credit. They're doing a good job out there, Bill. Yeah, yeah, she was definitely impressive. Um, and big, There was a lot of hype behind her coming into this fight, and... Uh, they, they were the fight that got bumped onto the main card from the undercard when uh, Khabib Ferguson got scrapped. So I think rightfully so. Uh, she had some great skills on the ground, and she was able to put them on display, and she definitely impressed you. So there's that she has going for her, which is nice. Uh, we'll touch over very lightly. I'll give you a couple of other results, and you tell me if anything jumps out at you so mark godbeer we have to mention because he's got a cool name um defeated uh newcomer daniel spitz in a unanimous decision uh tyson pedro and paul craig both were undefeated coming into ufc 209 uh pedro coming away with a tko in round one this was uh kind of a sloppy fight for two undefeated fighters and then uh albert morales pulling out the upset against uh, the debut of Andre Sukumtath, who had a lot of hype coming behind him, and that was a, a split decision, which uh, seemed to be the trend on this card. So any of those three fights jump out to you that you want to touch on, Jeff? I did not watch any of those fights, unfortunately, but I did want to watch the Pedro versus Craig fight because I, I remember they were both undefeated. Mm-hmm. But good for Pedro. He he won. It looks like he was able to stop Craig in the first round. So good for him. And I did want to see the Godbeer fight because that's a really cool name. It is a cool name. It wasn't so cool of a fight. Um, it, it wasn't that exciting. But, uh, you know, Daniel Spitz, big guy. He looked uh, a little nervous in there. So, you know, maybe he's got to get his sea legs. Under him. So last night was the second pay-per-view in a row that there was a three-man commentary team. So it was Joe Rogan, who does all the Continental U.S. pay-per-views, and then it was John Anik and Dominic Cruz. So the last pay-per-view was Joe Rogan, John Anik, and Daniel Cormier. What did you think of this dynamic with the three commentators and this combination in particular, Jeff? I liked this combination a little bit better than Daniel Cormier because Dominic Cruz was really, he stayed really objective when uh, commentating. And, you know, he was more about staying objective and also actually analyzing the fight. Um, We said that Daniel Cormier, you know, he did a lot of talking about his own training partners and his Mm -hmm. uh, version of doing things. Meanwhile, you know, Cruz was very professional. He stayed objective. He, he was. I thought he's. I think he's a great analyst personally. 
uh, I think I believe he won Analyst of the Year or something. Um, yeah, makes sense. Uh, I also, yeah, I also like John Anik too. I just don't like the three man thing because there were many times where it would be like John Anik and Joe Rogan talking, and Dominic Cruz wasn't really saying anything, and then it would be uh, Joe Rogan analyzing the fight, but then John Anik wouldn't be like analyzing the fight. He would be like talking about uh, the Slurpee that you could get and like doing promos so it was the balance is still a little weird when yeah. it comes to three-man teams but i do like john anik dominic cruz and joe rogan just not all three at the same time yeah i agree i thought cruz did a great job i definitely like him better than cormier and we've talked about this on the show before where cormier makes everything about him he reminds me of like the grandpa simpson where he's like back in my day even though he's like He's still fighting, but, um, and Anik even gave Dominic Cruz a couple of opportunities to have some of those moments where he's like, hey, Dominic, when this happens to you, what do you think? And Dominic turns around and he makes, he makes it objective, uh, which I like. I think he's a great analyst. He definitely has a great mind and he has a great eye for the sport. He knows exactly what's going on in there and he knows what, what guys should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And I definitely agree with you. I don't like the three-man team. I think it's just, I think it's just awkward because it leaves too much room for them to talk over each other. And when they're not talking over each other, it feels like they're taking turns on purpose. And that's just awkward. And I don't like it. I think it should be a two-man team. Uh, I'm not too particular about which two you have in there, but I think it should just be two. And I think it should not be Daniel Cormier anymore i'd be okay with i'd be okay with rogan and cruz even though that's two guys doing play-by-play and you don't really have the color guy to read the 7-eleven ads and and stuff like that i'd be okay with rogan and anik but one thing i noticed i i did miss mike goldberg during this pay-per-view even during like the b-roll interviews where they just talk about the fighters you know where they're like alistair overeem is dutch and shit uh like (laughs) even that stuff like i like john anik but you know you kind of miss goldberg doing that stuff it's like a subtle thing that you take for granted like you don't know what you had until it's gone and i I liked goldberg and the way he did those b-roll reads i really did and and the fight introductions and and things like that and uh yeah i I don't like the three-man the three-man fight team but one thing i did like that i i didn't think i would like this weekend jeff i decided to delve into hard ciders now i know you're a fan of of hard ciders i'm more of a craft beer and and whiskey kind of guy if you've listened to the show you've obviously figured that out but i figured you know i want to i want to diversify my palate a little bit for you guys so I hope you all appreciate the things that I'm willing to do for you. So I bought some hard ciders. Uh, I wanted to try out like a a little bit of a variety. So I found this brand called Sonoma. And uh, they make hard ciders that are actually pretty tasty. I I kind of enjoy them. So one of them I had was called the Anvil. And it's a bourbon-flavored hard cider. So it's got kind of the apple flavor and then it's got kind of an oaky bourbon taste to it and i'm a big fan of bourbon so i actually didn't mind the cider and then i had another one that's called the washboard and it was a vanilla and sarsaparilla flavored cider and at first i was like oh vanilla and apple cider that's kind of weird but then i thought about you know when you have like a piece of apple pie and you put vanilla ice cream on it so I started thinking about that, and once I put that in my mind, it tasted a lot better. I don't know if it was a coincidence. And I even thought about, I only bought one bottle of each. I bought like a variety pack, but I even thought about combining the bourbon with the vanilla cider. So you got the bourbon, the apple, the vanilla, and the sarsaparilla in there all together. I didn't try it, so I can't vouch for it, but independently, these were some pretty pretty solid ciders i i enjoy them um the thing with cider is for those who don't know apple juice is a diuretic which means it it clears your bowels out 
And I discovered last night after about five ciders uh, that hard cider has the same effect. So just a warning there. If you don't drink a lot of ciders like I don't and then you drink, you know, five or more in a night, uh, just be prepared to be near a restroom. And and that's my assessment uh, of hard ciders. But I, I did like I did enjoy the flavor of these ciders. What's your opinion on ciders, Jeff? I I happen to like ciders, especially when they have the apple flavor. Mm-hmm. It, it just you know it goes nice in like the fall and when it's kind of cold out. It, it's it's a nice drink. Um, the ciders you had sound really good to me. I'll probably have to pick some up. I do like uh, I like your comparison of um, the apple vanilla to paella mode, which is absolutely delicious. So I'm I may have right. to uh, may have to explore this further, Bill. Yeah. What, what brand were you drinking, by the way? It's a uh, Sonoma S O N O M A. Sonoma. Yeah. You know I'm where sorry. they're out of? I will look it up real quick. I have their website open in front of me, which is SonomaCider.com for anyone who's interested. And while I'm looking this up, uh, what are some of your favorite ciders, Jeff? Um, Bill, I'm going to be honest with you. When you said cider to me, I thought you meant like apple cider instead of apple juice. No, no, uh, we, we only we only drink we only drink booze on this show, Jeff. It's pretty much the only liquid I put in my body. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't really have anything for you, um, but I was thinking of trying um, uh, some Epsilom again, and I don't know if you remember me telling you this, but that was the um, the uh, drink that I had, where on the label it had a skeleton. Riding mm. into battle on a chicken. Right. So, you know, judging a book by its cover, you have some of this, you're it's gonna have you're gonna have some fun. It's gonna yeah. be a good night. Yeah, can't go wrong there. I mean I, I overdid it on the tequila a little bit last weekend, so I might be uh might be taking a break from that at least for a week or so. And I'm, right now I'm doing uh while we were recording here and, and before we started recording, I was doing a little uh, Tito's vodka with uh, black cherry Zevia Cola. You know how I love my Zevia Cola, Jeff. And I only drink soda if there's booze in it, so I had to I had to spike it up with a little bit of vodka. But uh, if I'm going to drink soda, I'm drinking Zevia because not only does it have no sugar and no calories, it, I think, it's it's some kind of... It healthier version of soda, but I think it tastes good. I just enjoy the taste of it, and the black cherry is my favorite, and especially when there's vodka in it. So Tito's vodka and and uh, black cherry. All right, so we talked about uh, UFC 209. Any other thoughts on that? Any other thoughts on uh, hard ciders or vodkas or Zevia colas or three man fight commentary teams or any of the above, Jeff? What do you got? Um, I, I, you know, I've been thinking a lot lately. Uh, now that you mentioned Zevia Cola, lately I've been thinking a lot about this drink you made when I was down there, where it was a whole bunch of fruit, some Zevia Cola, and vodka. I think mm-hmm. you called it a stove topper, or maybe I called it a stove to- a stove topper. I forget. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I, I just really enjoyed that drink. Um, and I still live at home, Bill. So. When I move out, I think half my apartment is going to be, like, in my fridge, half of it's going to be booze. The rest is going to be stuff to mix booze with yeah. and maybe, like, a gallon of almond milk. That sounds like, that's good. Yeah, that sounds like a solid plan. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of a concoction that I just kind of threw together. I'm always experimenting, and I, I love when you guys send me your drink recipes on Twitter and things like that and let me know what you're what you're drinking during the fights. Uh, that's usually a question that I throw out there. You know, what are you drinking while you're watching the fight? That's what I'm always curious about. So let me know if you come up with a new and interesting drink recipe, uh, send me a note on Twitter or on any social media platform at MMA on the rocks on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or you go to MMA on the rocks.com and you can definitely send me a message on there. And if you have anything you want to say to Jeff, you can get him at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. 
He's very responsive, and he always enjoys the debate about MMA. But keep those drink recipes coming because I always, I always love when you guys tell me what you're drinking during the fights. So let us know what you're thinking and drinking. If you're enjoying the show on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to podcasts, please do us a favor and leave a review and let us know your thoughts and your feedback. We're always open to it. I also want to give a shout out to Flying Brian J, my buddy on Twitter. Uh, he let me know some audio problems that was having with the last episode, and he kind of talked me through them. So he's kind of an audio engineer, wizard. Uh, I don't know what his exact title is, but he's really good with this stuff. And he also has a YouTube channel where he breaks down fights, and he has another YouTube channel where he breaks down craft beer. So I enjoy both of those things. If you're listening to Amen. this show... I assume you enjoy both of those things too. So check out Flying Brian J on YouTube or go to his Twitter and see what he has to say about fighting and craft beer. Uh, other than that, you got anything else, Jeff? Uh, no, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that we like violence and beer. Yeah, I mean, that pretty much sums it up. We could have just ended the show there. But instead, we'll end it here. That's all we got for this week. Tune in next week on Sunday, and we'll break down some more violence. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye.